Welcome to Four Thoughts of Our Founders, the podcast for the Higher Education Leadership Foundation. We are practitioners, scholars, administrators, and researchers seeking to find like-minded individuals committed to creating a rich cultural capital for the sole benefit of this space. More importantly, we at Health describe ourselves as zealots of this sacred space, the HBCU space. Got a really special guest today, not going to belabor the point. She is uh, a researcher, a scholar, and a practitioner, but is also affectionately known as the etiquette doctor. Won't you welcome Dr. Toya Corbett. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Dr. Felton. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you today? I'm doing great. You can call me Herman, please. Got it. Um, we are happy to have you here. Um, I think it is a very timely conversation. I note that you had this conversation on the 22nd. Uh, and for full disclosure, um, I came to know Dr. Corbett by way of LinkedIn. Um, and I saw a uh, flyer for a presentation that she was doing that uh, really, really spoke to me um, because I find it critically necessary. Uh, and I think she's the perfect person to uh, start this conversation. But before we do this, who is Toya Corbett? Where are you from, Doc? I am from North Carolina. Uh, I'm a native North Carolinian. Mm -hmm. I, I currently reside in Durham um, in the Research Triangle Park area. Um, I attended University of North Carolina at Charlotte for my undergraduate degree in psychology. A 49er. Uh, a 49, proud 49er, too. Um, and then, after spending five years in corporate America and what was then First Union, now Wells Fargo, I, I quit my job because I just wasn't happy. That was not what I was supposed to be doing with my life. And went to graduate school at Morgan State University in Baltimore. I'm also a proud, proud bear. At Morgan, I earned my master's in African American studies and a PhD in history. And I also worked at Morgan for 10 years in student affairs, and that's that's where I got my start. I thought I was oh, going to wow. be working at uh, the Smithsonian as a historian, as a curator, <laughs> and uh, student affairs sucked me in like it has done so many other folks. Mm. And I just decided to, to give in to God's will to my life and go and stick with education and student affairs. And so now, um, after working at Morgan, I went to North Carolina Central University. Mm-hmm. Um, home of the Eagles, and I was there for four and a half years. I served as the assistant vice chancellor and dean of students, and then had a wonderful opportunity to move uh, to the UNC system office that serves the 17 state institutions in North Carolina. Outstanding. Uh, Outstanding. You have, uh, <clears throat> you've done a great deal, um, and I am particularly um happy to hear that you were one of the very few I, I i don't know if few is is accurate but i think at an early age after being in um, your profession for just five years you understood that it wasn't what you were supposed to be doing and a lot of us mm -hmm. are paralyzed stay where we are 
our faith does not um, match uh, our resilience at times uh, mm-hmm. and, and doesn't allow for us to take a leap, if you will. So kudos for 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 knowing that there was something else. Uh, and that probably leads into this notion that um, the path that we have is different from the path that God has. If it's not the mm-hmm. same path that he wants us to walk mm-hmm. on. Isn't that Absolutely. always, uh, uh, always <laughs> funny to me? Always funny. Yeah, definitely hilarious. Cause I was set <laughs> on being a historian and, and I took a graduate, I was a grad assistant, um, and took a, just a part-time job in the office of student activities. And that's how I started, you know, 16 years ago. And now to be the, the assistant vice president of student affairs for an entire system, it's just, it's just amazing to me. And they say, you know, you make your own plans and what, you know, and God just laughs at you. Well, he's been laughing at me for 16 years. And, yeah. and I'm just, I'm just staying the course. Well, you know, a lot of times that marination process is, is good too. You know, um, we, a lot of times are collecting, tools for the toolbox for the right house that we're supposed to build. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're leasing, renting, uh, doing all these things. But when it's time for you to own the space that God has for you, you have to have some tools. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I, in my journey, it's, that has been the thing that allows me to understand the securitist route that I took was really about building tools so that I could own the space um, that God really had for me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you're also um, much more, we all are, but you talk about being a historian and a scholar, but you're also a budding entrepreneur, right? I am. Uh, I am a fourth generation entrepreneur. My great grandfather, um, we, we, his, his name and, and people sometimes know me as Doc Corbett. And I got that name really from my great grandfather. Uh, his name was Beery Corbett, but mm-hmm. he was called Doc Corbett. The, the name of the street that my grandparents live on is Doc Corbett Road. Um, but he was an entrepreneur. He was a, a land, a, a free man of color who was a landowner. Wow. Um, and had it amassed over what that time, they, you know, they tell us over a million dollars. I'm, I'm still looking for my inheritance. <laughs> <laughs> you but, got it. You got also, the name. You got the name. You got the work ethic. You got all of that stuff. So that's the inheritance. Yeah, but my 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 great grandfather, my grandfather, my father, uh, my brother, I have cousins. We all you know have uh, our own businesses. Uh, you know, doing a little bit of everything from attorneys to you know uh, had a cousin that owned the largest tilapia farm in, in North Carolina and. We're just doing a whole lot, and I, I'm just proud to carry that name. And it's just in me um, to be an entrepreneur. So I, I'm the etiquette doctor, providing etiquette training and career coaching. I also have a T-shirt business called Black Genius Apparel um, that I created. Had the the vision for it when I was at Morgan, because I just got to a point where I was tired of seeing students walking around campus wearing, you know these negative images on their shirts or, you know, something in a different language. And I'm like, you don't even know what that says, Mm -hmm. but you're wearing it on your chest. And so I created Black Genius Apparel that I wanted it to be something really cool and really dope that students would want to wear that shared a positive message that inspired them and also gave them a sense of confidence. But to show the world also that Black geniuses do exist 
and I have another shirt that says HBCG, HBCU genius. Mm. So most people hear about HBCUs, not black folks, but other people, they don't think genius and HBCU go together, mm-hmm. but they absolutely do. So again, I do that. I do that shirt um, for you know all the institutions just to just to show their. I say wear your genius proudly. Yes. That's my tagline. Yes, absolutely. Um, also, an author. I am. I mean, I where, where 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 do you where do you get all this this time from, Doc? Because <laughs> I'm trying to figure a couple of things out myself, and I I just can't find the time. But good lord, sister. Yeah, I uh, you know my passion. I still have this amazing passion for history. If you give me, you know, that's another podcast, Herman. Um, mm-hmm. About black women's organizations, and I, yeah. and I lived in Baltimore. I, I fell in love with the history of Black Baltimore. It's a story that I think that just hasn't been shared as widely as it should have. And just being there, I learned so much. And I, I focused my master's thesis and my doctoral dissertation both on women, Black women, mm. um, based in Baltimore, but particularly at Morgan State University. There's an organization there called the Morgan State University Women uh, that was founded in 1934 mm-hmm. as the Faculty Wives Auxiliary. And these type of organizations were on several HBCU campuses, Howard, Tuskegee, um, and they were out there doing the work in the community, educating kids, yeah. uh, children, daycare, showing, uh, teaching home economics, um, Morgan, the Morgan women was started right out of the Great Depression. So when faculty members came uh, to Morgan as um, new faculty members, they mm-hmm. sometimes stayed in the homes of the Morgan women because, you know, as a segregated city of Baltimore, you couldn't just go and rent a house very easily or an apartment. Wow. Um, but they provided transportation. They provided scholarships for students who were struggling after the Depression. And you so know, I said, somebody needs to hear this story. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I cannot wait. I'm I'm holding you to the conversation on history. We, we will definitely mm-hmm. circle back um, mm-hmm. because I, I, I am in love with the Harlem Renaissance uh, period, right, in that era, and mm-hmm. particularly the impact uh, that women had on the Harlem Renaissance. You don't hear mm-hmm. a lot about um, that space and time, uh, obviously Zora Neale Hurston, um, mm-hmm. and the tension that she had with other writers, uh, because of probably her sexuality. I don't know if it was that, or if it was the sheer genius, or if it was because she was encroaching in a, a space where women were thought to, uh, be domesticated and she was mm-hmm. antithetical to that. But, what I what I love about the Harlem Renaissance is the fact that um, they uh, had a package or a product mm-hmm. that was predicated on excellence and was not to be denied, and more importantly, uh, was so strong that even those who hated them paid for it paid mm-hmm. for the excellence in that space and <laughs> yeah. I, I think so much can be learned from the Harlem Renaissance space so I'm I'm definitely 
uh, super excited about geeking out about history. Uh, I'm dyslexic, and one of the things that brought me out of, uh, not necessarily out of, but helped me cope with uh, my dyslexia was history, black history. And so I've chewed through a lot of it as well, so it's always fascinating to uh, sit and talk with uh, trained historians uh, about our history. So uh, that's another podcast we're definitely going to get into. We could pause right here parenthetically and talk all day long, but yes. but 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 we won't. I, I want to talk about the etiquette doctor, and I note that um, you started really, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was it more what you did on Wednesday of this week, five mistakes black women make free career advice, looking for a job. Was that etiquette, did that morph? You initially started with dining etiquette training. Is that correct? I initially started with dining etiquette training. Mm-hmm. And, and let me explain to you why I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was an undergraduate at UNC Charlotte, I'm also a member of Alpha Alpha Sorority. Yes, and I indeed. Had the, the, yes, <laughs> I had the the awesome and just amazing opportunity that so few undergraduate women have. I served on the sorority's national board. I was elected to the Nas- international board of directors as undergraduate member at large. <clears throat> Excuse me, my uh, senior year in college. And, of course, at that point, I was having to go to, you know, board meetings, regional conferences, national meetings. And I remember sitting at one of the first formal dinners um, that I participated in. And I was sitting beside our 20th international president, the late, great Barbara K. Phillips, Dr. Barbara K. Phillips. And I remember sitting there looking at the table, and I didn't know which fork to use. I didn't know which way to pass the the basket of rolls. And I decided I was going to follow everything that Dr. Phillips did down to, and at that point I was 19 years old, and I remember the, the waiter was coming around and asking, uh, white, red, or blush? And I'm thinking, you know, what is he talking about? And so Dr. Phillips ordered, he said, blush. So I said, blush. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I remember not even liking it. Now, I'm, I'm a wine person now. But at that point, I said, I will never put myself in this position again mm-hmm. where I don't know or feel embarrassed. Doc, it's, so I, it, but it but it is some it's some tricky stuff. Right. It's it's scary. Fine dining in and of itself. It's scary, right? Uh, I mean, for the average person. For the it it is, but I can show you how to navigate that table in an hour or less. I guarantee it. Because when you someone shows you everything, you're like, I get get it. it. But mm-hmm. then, but then, I you know started teaching myself and reading and just figuring all of this out. When I got to Morgan and was working in student activities, I. Uh, was very close to the vice president of student affairs at that time. Mm-hmm. And he had invited some students over, some staff members, right after commencement. And there was a young man, and this is what really uh, pushed me to start training students on dining etiquette. There was a young man 
who had just graduated from Morgan with an engineering degree. And Morgan has one of the top engineering programs in the country. No doubt. Not even including or excluding black colleges or white colleges. I'm talking about all colleges, universities. Morgan has one of the top in the nation. Absolutely. At dinner, uh, Vice President, he had baked potatoes on the grill. So he had wrapped them in aluminum foil. You know, he took them off. Mm. So everyone's getting in their food. <laughs> Young man, I'm watching him. Mm. He he got a baked potato. He took the foil off. And then guess how he ate it? With his hand. He picked it up and bit it. Yep. And the next day, we were, we were celebrating him because he was flying to Chicago for an interview with an engineering firm. And I said, they take him to lunch or dinner. He's not going to get the job. It will be a wrap. It will be a wrap. And at that, that point, I said, you've got to do something about this. I'm a strong believer is that when you make an observation, you have an obligation to do something about it. I and think so you're right. The, those students at Morgan were my, and they, and they all can tell you now, if any of them ever listen to this, they're going to be laughing. They were my, you know, early guinea pigs of mm-hmm. the day. Mm-hmm. And I started training them on dining etiquette. You know, the Royal Court, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Morgan, mm-hmm. uh, the SGA leaders, we did dining etiquette. So they, they were ready. Um, then it got to the point, you know, great Dr. Wilson, president of Morgan now, he wanted a student ambassadors program. So I created the president leadership circle for him. And guess what? Those students learned how to dress, dining etiquette. So when they went to, you know, fundraising events, Dr. Mm-hmm. Wilson knew they were going to be prepared. Didn't have to look out the corner of his eye to make sure everything right. was good. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so that just kept building and, um, you know, being in the HBCU world and going to, NASAP and other conferences, I started offering my services to, you know, other institutions and mm-hmm. kept growing. Uh, and now I pretty much, you know, train all age groups. And I think I have more fun with adults who come thinking they know. <laughs> and have no idea. <laughs> and have no idea. You, you know, know what? I always laugh, like, I'm at the table with all these PhDs. Yeah. No one knows. knows. Yeah. You know what's fascinating is the pressure that we put on ourselves for not knowing something. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't diminish your intellect, um, your cooth, um, nothing. If, if you've not been exposed to something, it's difficult mm-hmm. for you to know um, anything about it. And so, you know, we we oftentimes serve a populace that uh, isn't necessarily exposed to fine dining. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. we haven't been to Ruth Chris or mm-hmm. we haven't been to some of the finest steakhouses. It just doesn't come in the same form and fashion as being educated on uh, fine dining. I'll tell you a quick story. Lily Vereen was the, the woman at Edward Waters College at my alma mater who I had to be a part because I was a summer bridge student and mm-hmm. all of us had to go through um, etiquette training. And I put it off for so long because I was a non-traditional student. I'm like, man, I know how to eat. I don't I don't need <laughs> it. I, I mean, I know what fork to pick up, et cetera, et cetera. Went to her class, long story short, in my junior year, the end of my junior year, and took the class, was blown away, 
the next semester, I'd applied for a uh, fellowship as a political science major, got selected, went to the White House for the Center for the Study of the Presidency. And they had all of us there, White House, um, East Wing, West Wing. We did it all, then had this massive dinner with the mm. president. And um, guess how they ate? <laughs> <laughs> and guess who was a superstar at the table, mm-hmm, right? All mm-hmm, because yep. I learned uh, those invaluable lessons. So, uh, and we do it here at my house now. We have eight to ten students, a couple times a semester, and it is fascinating to watch the table manners, which they mm-hmm. they really just don't know. First of all, they bring their phones to the table. Um, oh, and you, mm-hmm. you, you know, you try to get them to understand that this is a place of, of sacredness. You know, breaking bread is, is really a big deal, bigger than what mm-hmm. we treat it to be. Uh, but anyway, uh, I just wanted to echo the sentiment that it is needed um, and it is needed on every level, not just the students, but watching some of uh, the adults uh, is uh, pretty, pretty fascinating, too. Um, so so the the etiquette moved to a different space as you continued to see, as you climbed the ranks. And I guess it was a pattern that you saw that you were beginning to notice. Is that how we get to the five mistakes that black women make? It, it Exactly. You know, I, I have been blessed to have some incredible, you know, professional experiences to be exposed to a lot. And to be able to hire people, you know, that's a blessing, mm-hmm. be in that position. Absolutely. And so, and, and then also sitting on search committees mm-hmm. for those, those high-level executive or senior-level roles. And I noticed, you know, we black people, we are incredibly, incredibly smart. We're brilliant people. Uh, but we all, sometimes we don't have the polish that we need yeah um, and we don't always show up as we should and being you know an etiquette person i recognize that immediately when someone walks through the door um and so during interview processes or being on search committees you know i would notice how you know you send in your resume and i'm seeing errors mm-hmm. like that's that's number one mistake you know yeah. there should not be any errors like Herman, I've even seen a resume where the person spelled their own name incorrectly. Mm. And I'm like, wow. You Was that mine? Proofread it. Was that mine? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Toya, I have to tell you, like, I hate writing. I hate it with a passion. I do it. It's a necessary evil. But to your point, I I try to make sure that two or three people and Mm -hmm. I'm not because I hate it, I think allows me to take constructive feedback fairly easy. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. even care what you say. Um, Stylistic is one thing. Grammar is non-negotiable. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm, going to push back on something stylistically, but grammar, that's not my that's not my thing. And so it's it's fascinating to me again and I, I love fascinating because it is some of the stuff you just can't make up. And, and that's yeah. why it's just, um, it's quite frankly fascinating. But um, right. I think people don't understand the value of pushing your stuff 
uh, to others uh, to look at. So I want to talk about that. And then I want to come back to the two things you said. And the first being polish. I want to break down polish. Um, and, and, and so but let's talk about the importance of of editing and someone proofing. You know, editing and proofing, you know, your resume may look good to you. <laughs> but then to you show it to someone else, and they're like, <laughs> you know, this doesn't flow well. And, and and then what we're doing now is adding a lot of fluff. You know, you try and make yourself, you know, grander. Mm-hmm. And like, that's unnecessary. So and I can't put the one, border with the flowers around no, it? No, no. And no, and no photos. No photos? No photos. Do not put your photo on, on your resume. It allows for someone to discriminate against you. Mm. They see now, they see your color, your race, your gender. Um, If you have natural hair, that's a whole nother conversation. Yes. Uh, And so it creates this kind of unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. So leave those photos off. Do not, you know, if you submitted a a paper, it shouldn't be on. I've seen someone's resume on neon colored paper. I'm but like, I'm trying know? to get your attention. You know, the job is <laughs> no. to stick out. That that's the wrong that's the wrong reason to stick out or the wrong way. Very unprofessional. Okay. Unprofessional. You know, and the border. The border is not a good thing. It's taking up space. <laughs> uh, what you're trying to do now is take up space to make your resume seem longer, right? That's just fluff. Don't 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 do that. Isn't um, it? Isn't it also? Uh, a moving target, not in a bad way, but evolution rather, how the structure of your resume is important as well. You know, it is. I see, you know, I'm just a basic structure. I've seen lots of resumes where, you know, folks have their education at the end. But well, that's one of the first things I need to see. You know, at the very bottom, like on page five. Yeah, no, I I'm, don't. Want I'm trying to see. Do yeah. you have a degree? That's yeah. what I need to know first. <laughs> so why do you have it at the bottom of page five? Move it up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that structure. That the structure is is critical. How much is too much? Great, great question. Uh, I keep saying fluff. You know, if you've been working for the last ten years. Um, hopefully you haven't job hopped every one to two years if you've been at three or four places um, or just keep it down to about 10 years of experience. And I would say no more. If, you, if you've been in the job market, I've been working for 20 years, three pages. Uh, you do have those folks who, who've gone to every conference and, you know, put an article in every, I'll call it internet newsletter and they're listing all those things, mm-hmm. trying, you know, elevate themselves. Some of that, again, is fluff. I need to see what's important. I need to see what your experiences are, the responsibilities were in those roles. Isn't it also isn't it also important to put information that's germane to the job that you're actually applying for or should we just throw the kitchen sink in? I mean you, that what made me think about that were the hundreds of articles that people write. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm going to, um, you know, apply for a professorship, I think that's probably dope. Um, I I don't know how much to add, uh, but if I'm going in administration, um, I don't know if all of that for for me, I'm never 
that doesn't matter to me if I'm looking for an administrator. Am I off target there about making sure that your resume is germane and how important is it for you to have a flexible resume? You, you hit the nail on the, on the head. Your resume should be written to align with the role you are applying for. And so as such, your cover letter. Mm-hmm. And now your cover letter should not replicate what's on your resume. And a lot of people are doing that. Or they're writing just a general cover letter changing the position that they're applying for and then it showed up in a different font so i know you all you did was change the the (laughs) title and you're sending it and that number one you know that's a huge no-no i'm going to just slide your your information i'm going to just pass it so your resume cover letter should be aligned for that role your cover letter should speak to your achievements that, that simple change in the font speaks to laziness, right? It's not just somebody being petty. It gives a peek into work ethic and candor and those things. Is, is that not correct? That is correct. That means you are probably applying to 50 jobs a day. And, that, and that's one of the things that I also tell my clients. Be more strategic and intentional of where you apply. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you keep, a, particularly for, you know, senior level roles, you're applying for you know, VP, um, don't go out there and apply to 10 campuses because you get rejected from 10. And I know that you, you sometimes you got to get 10 no's to get a yes. But people talk. This, you know, higher education, we're in particularly in the HBCU space is so small. And folks are going to want to know, well, why didn't they get hired at, you know, it's really at Wiley, small. at yeah. Morgan, at Central, something must be wrong with that person. So I'm talking, you know, resume saturation. Don't don't saturate your resume everywhere. People will talk because they know. Yeah, they, we know each other. And so, we, you know, and we call folks. Um, e- even if you're in the pool and you've not been selected, so mm-hmm. to speak, because time is really invaluable. I, I mean, I can't stress it enough. Like. You just don't have the energy to go through that exercise and come up blank. So I know Mm -hmm. for me, I'm always trying to put people in the pool that I would be okay with hiring. I want to be phenomenally okay with one of them, but I'm going Mm -hmm. to be okay with either way it shakes. So a lot of times before that pool for me, when I'm talking about senior administrators, and even if I'm looking for superstars to um, implant in every area on the campus, regardless of what level it is, mm-hmm. um, I'm I, I'm constantly looking for people who I think can uh, impact an area and and be infectious. Um, mm-hmm. But but my point, uh, and this is going back to what you were saying, is that. We call each other and Mm -hmm. say, hey, man, this person went here or they worked there. Tell me about them. They're applying here. And that's how the saturation process, unbeknownst to you, happens. Mm -hmm. That's how you are red flagged in ways when you when you have no idea that it's happening to you. Mm hmm. A- absolutely. And even when you do your best, you're like, I'm not going to tell anyone I, you know, I'm interviewing with Ed Wiley. Well, five people know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because somebody's going to see you walking across the campus 
and be with like, your new, with your new suit on. That's like, right. That's the interview suit. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, so that's that's another thing, Doc. When is it when is it safe to tell someone you're interviewing? Because we know we we work for some petty people, and some people will eviscerate you for having opportunities or doing phenomenal work. Some people uh, see that um, in in a different light than than most of us. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of follow a, a rule where, um, you know, I, I use an example for myself. I had a great, uh, the person I reported to at NCCU, we had a great relationship. Uh, I was very clear, you know, uh, when she took the role of what my aspirations were, you know, just having that initial conversation. I think kind of being honest all along and building that rapport mm-hmm. with uh, folks in your space. And so when it came, you know, time for me to interview with the UNC system, you know, I, I did the phone interview first. I didn't, didn't say anything. And once that went well and they offered me the in-person interview is when I shared. I think that's the time to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it gives, to me, it's, it's being fair to give your supervisor kind of time to, to think if you're going to transition out. Yeah. Um, and so I, you want to leave on a good note. You don't want to burn any bridges. And that's what kind of, sometimes folks will do that. There's it's a, intentional. Sometimes it's unintentional. Yeah. But it's all about relationships. Yeah. Tony Pinkard, president of uh, Wilberforce, always says that um, as careful as you tie the knot, you should be just as uncareful untying mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really, how you leave is also a a job interview for for your next opportunity as well. Uh, absolutely, you know, I, I shared with the chancellor, you know, personally and privately that I was leaving, mm-hmm. and you know, every time I see him now, he's like, because the way I did it, he said, you can come back anytime. Yeah, and that makes me feel good that I left there in a good space with everyone absolutely and so that that that's just great advice to anyone who's out there you know normally this would be the time in higher ed to be looking for a job and interviewing because people are getting ready for that july one fiscal year right yeah uh things are kind of slowed down <laughs> but just they a will little bit pick back up. <laughs> just a little bit they will pick back up so just be mindful when you're listening I think all along when you're meeting with your manager, your supervisor, and you're doing your performance reviews, and they're asking you, hopefully, if you have a good manager, they're asking you, and they they are, they should be hope, helping to mold you and train you yeah. to move on. Yeah. Uh, and you're saying, yeah, you know, my goal is to be a vice president. My goal is to be a dean. My goal is to be a, you know, a president or a chancellor. And so they, they're not shocked when you start looking at interviewing or when somebody uh, comes at so, somebody comes to get you mm-hmm. you know or, when you know when someone says hey um we have a position here we think you would be a good person for it i mean that mm-hmm. that in a lot of ways when you think about it it's a reflection of your leadership so if you've gotten that Absolutely. person ready um then it's a good thing i I've told uh, my cabinet folks, you need to you need to make sure you have your replacement here, Um, because Mm -hmm. if you leave um, the best way for me to really understand that you cared about the institution 
was to ensure that it didn't skip a beat when you left. Correct. That's Mm -hmm. to me. And don't lie to me. (laughs) Do not lie. If you have interviews, um, you know, tell the truth, because when you Mm -hmm. find out through, um, you know, Bobby, Bobby and them, um, I, the street committee is just relentless. The street committee is like the internet. It is undefeated, um, when it comes to these things. And, um, if I have to find out from a president that you're interviewing at another president's spot, then that tells me that you had no respect for me, whether you liked Mm -hmm. or disliked me, whatever the case may be. It just, it says very clear that you have no respect. And so I think people, and I get it. And that's the rub though, Toya It's like, it's tough because I've been in a situation where I thought I was going to get fired because I was going on an interview that I told, but I was afraid. Right. And, and being candid, um, my second presidency, those things are really tricky because they mm-hmm. really need to be confidential and boards have different feelings about you being sought after. They, uh, in some ways will think that where you are is not good enough for you. So I understand the, the tight rope that you have to walk, but mm-hmm. I still think we have to find it in ourselves to just simply be honest and put people on notice. And I, I love the example that you gave about how you remind people that um, this is a great opportunity for me right here, but I do have aspirations and that's through the annual review or the six month checkup. And mm-hmm. I always encourage people to really establish rapport with the people that they work with so that mm-hmm. they're able to have walks across the campus and talk about, you know, just check-ins, I, nothing formal, but just informal check-ins. Hey, how you doing? I just want you to know I'm doing some great work here. I feel like I'm getting where I need to be for my next challenge. What are your thoughts? You know, and be open right. to what those thoughts, what, what that might sound like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's so important. We talked about polish. What does, what does it mean to be polished when you say you when a person walks into an interview you can determine whether they're polished or not let's talk about some of those uh glaring examples of the unpolished uh, and 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 the polished so i, I have a toya corbettism <laughs> and it is presentation is everything mm-hmm. i've been saying this for years you know that's that's the title of my my editor presentation is everything. Mm-hmm. When you walk through through the door, they see you before they hear what you have to say. Remember that. You know, you know, particularly, you know, black people, we don't look to see what you have on. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But your attire, uh, you know, black is not black. <laughs> if you can go buy some new, sho- you know, expensive shoes mm-hmm. and that new bag, Buy yourself a suit. Do not go in your closet and piece things together. Separates. Oh, I got this black blazer, you know, mm-hmm. that I picked up from, you know, Banana Republic, and I got this black skirt that I got from Macy's. Well, that black doesn't match, yeah. right? Yeah. And you can immediately see it in the light, and it looks different. So your attire, you should invest in your clothes. 
because my thinking is if they're going to wear that for an interview, what are they going to wear if I hire them every day to work? They're yes, going to come indeed. dressed less than, right? Yep. Your hair, uh, the ladies, your makeup, you know, the jewelry. You can't wear the big, the hoop to your interview. Like, don't do that. Uh, the long dangling, you know, get you just some nice pearl studs. You can get some for 10 bucks and make it, right? Your shoes, don't wear the, the four and five inch heels. Particularly if you're in higher education and they're going to take you on a tour of the campus, you got to walk across campus <laughs> in five inch heels. Yeah. Uh, be mindful of your perfume because, you know, first impressions are a lasting impression. Yeah. For me, also, and, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. When you walk through the door, I would say, you know, be on. Yes. As soon as you walk through the door. That's one of the things we don't do it. That's one of the mistakes, you know. You say you think you're, you you want to be humble, but you need to shine. Mm -hmm. You're there to get a job. How are you going to get it if you're being humble, mm -hmm. right? Walk through the door. Start shaking hands. Firm handshake. Give people eye contact. What about that um, contact with the first line? How important oh, is with that? The, with the administrative yes. assistant? Yes. If you mess up with that, <laughs> you're out of gas. You, you, you're out. But they're going to say, oh, she came in here with an attitude. Yeah. She was late and mm -hmm. she was fumbling around. And yes, first impression is a lasting impression. And Impress everybody. And, and I'm telling you, if you don't think that their vote or their word matters, you are sadly mistaken. They are just, mm -hmm. they are not just administrative assistants. They're, first of all, they're human beings. But secondly, mm -hmm. they're people that know us. They know um, what you look for. They know your style standards. They know what the standard mm -hmm. is at a place where a new person is coming to be a part of. And they have tentacles that oftentimes are, you know, on point. They, they are mm -hmm. pretty receptive. So, um, I like that. I, th I think when p I tell people, as soon as you get out of your car, you better be on, period. Uh, be on, yes. Yeah. I, I, yes. When you walk out of your door, yes. going to the interview, mm -hmm. be you on. know, be in that mode. Be in that mode. When you don't get on campus or whatever, going to that door of corporate America, you've got to shine. you got to shine. Yeah. College, all, you know, a lot of places now are taking you to dinner or to lunch with your interview. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't know that dining etiquette for that for that reason, Doc. I need to right. know, you know, if you can handle this because we will be having dinner with the board. Uh, mm -hmm. You will you may come in contact with major donors. You may come in mm -hmm. contact with individuals who can impact our students lives on the campus. So you 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 darn well better be able um, to manage the process um, and 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 know when to sit back and allow the mater d uh, mm -hmm. to place uh, mm -hmm. you know the napkin where it needs okay. yeah yeah right. no no all that is 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 um, all that is critical it, you know it's, it's it is so important they want to know can you represent us well mm-hmm that, that and the is, moment that you don't, that you mess up, you out of gas. That's it. Out of gas. That's it. I, you know, I am such a stickler for it that there are people who hate to eat with me because <laughs> <laughs> they know, you know, I get, you know, I'm really active in the sorority. I've been, I've been doing the rounds, aka with this now at our national conferences, 
and you know, it's time for the with the gala on Saturday night. They're like, oh, I'm not don't don't I'm not the table with Toya, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they do, and they said, you know, fortunately, you know, they like teach me. I realize I need to know this. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm like, no, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. I was I was just gonna say, um, you know, I, I think people who are open to the atmosphere, open to um, the energy that God really um, sends to us. I think those are the people that find themselves winning on so many different Mm -hmm. occasions. And it's not just about um, getting the right job, but to your point about being open to knowing what you don't know as it Mm -hmm. relates to presentation. It's just so critically important. And a lot of times... Uh, people are watching you, even when you're at conferences. When you're at mm-hmm. conferences, it's not the time um, to act uh, the way you would at um, at a five-year reunion for your sorority or your fraternity. Like your 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 attire and your decorum still needs to be a little different because you're still on the clock, even after the conference is over for that day when you go out for dinner uh you probably want to be presentable um and if you have drinks you want to know what your limit is before you get to talking about how bad your boss is and and the institution is and everybody else that's exactly right and i would tell you i have personally seen some things at conferences and I, mental note, do not hire that person. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, our reputations mm-hmm. precede us in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. Mental note. Yeah. And you think you're out just having a good time, but somebody is always watching you. And I, I'm going to even take that a step further now within this, this COVID-19 era and everybody doing Zoom and, and WebEx. Your presentation still matters. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen, some, you know, in these um, Facebook groups and whatnot, and people just, you know, joking how, you know, they had their hair wrapped. And, um, mm. You know, they still are laying. And I had folks saying, you know, somebody was on Zoom still in bed. I'm like, people are going to remember that. Mm. And you will get left behind or crossed over for opportunities because of how you present it on a Zoom meeting. Right? I'm, I'm still getting up putting on makeup, <laughs> I'm doing my hair. And the other day, one of my colleagues said, Toya has on her pearls today. Cause this is how Toya represents every day. This is not different because I'm not in the office. Yeah. Right? And you, you got to remember, people are going to remember how you showed up. And they're going to think, well, I don't know, because you remember when we were doing a Zoom meeting, they were not even dressed. You know, she didn't do her hair. So I'm not going to hire that person because now I can't trust you in any other setting. Yeah. We always have to show up, particularly black people. We have to show up so people already expect less. <laughs> Don't give them what they expected. And then now you've confirmed their perception. That is, um, that, that's spot on. <laughs> um, uh, as we, we cut across the field, uh, let me ask you, one question 
uh, before we get into our rapid fire questions. Uh, but we've already you've already agreed that you're coming back, right? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Cool. Maybe we can even do a two part series to this. Um, but and we're definitely going to do the history conversation. But tell me three things. Um, th- really quickly, three things that three mistakes, the most painful mistakes that folk make when they're interviewing. Uh, three most painful uh, mistakes when interviewing. I, I have this thing called do more than lean in. Uh, you know, like I think 2013, Sheryl Sandberg, who's yeah. COO of Facebook, you know, wrote this book. Had all black women out in, you know, in a rage, but it still had some good points to it. You know, good points mm-hmm. to it. But I say, you know, do more than lean in, step all the way in, mm-hmm. right? And you think of the concept of leaning in, you're leaning in, looking in the room. Well, mm-hmm. I want to be in the room and I want to be sitting at the table, right? So do more. Like when you get to the interview, Particularly that first round, people tend to hold back. Well, let me hold back, and then when I get to the second round, I'll give them some more. Mm-mm. But guess what? You're not going to get to the <laughs> second round if you hold back on the first round. Mm. I mean, there have been people I've personally known in searches, and I'm thinking, I know he knows more than that. I know he did more than that, but you didn't say any of that in the interview. So do more than lean in. Step all the way in. Okay. Um, another thing. Again, it's, it's a polish. You got to show up. You have to show up. I, Herman, I'll tell you, that was a brother I did not hire for a role because he showed up with a French cuff shirt on with no cuff links in it. Yikes. <laughs> and I just said, I said, stared at his cuff the entire time. I had no idea what he said in his interview. So clearly, you, you you if you didn't come ready for this, you're not ready for the job. If you're not prepared with just how you present it, then you're not prepared for this role, right? Mm-hmm. Then third, I'd say networking is more than an email. And it is true. A lot of things is who you know, particularly in this HBCU space, the opportunities will come up, and you may get that phone call before it gets posted. You got to be ready, but you just can't depend on trying to network with people you don't know by sending an email. I get inboxed on LinkedIn all the time, and in particularly from young women who say, "Can I talk to you about my career?" Sure, I take my time. Give me a call. How can I help you? Well, I don't know what I want to do. Nope. <laughs> uh, so. Why do you want to talk to me? Because I can't tell you what that is. Yeah. I don't know you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Be intentional about your your network and how you network. Mm-hmm. I don't like using the word mentor because I think it's overused and overrated. Mentorship, men, that creates, that means that's a committed relationship. Yeah. Right? Mm-mm. Don't. But ask for help from someone that you trust and that you respect who followed that journey that you want to be on. Right. To get feedback about your resume, about your cover letter. Um, presentations are now in a lot of interviews. You've got to practice. Yeah. You need someone to look at your presentation and say, hey, what do you think? And if you have up slides on the screen that are just jumble full of words, I'm not reading that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you don't you, you're not being an effective presenter. 
So there's a lot of these things that no one, the biggest thing, Herm, is that no one has told us. A lot of people don't have God, you know, someone to, to say, hey, sister, let me let me sit you down. Let me, let me help mold you, right? And I can say that was me. I graduated from college without a job. Because no one said, Toya, you need to be prepared. You need to get an internship. Are you going to grad school? It took me five years to get myself together. That's why now I give back to say, if I see someone, let me take the time to talk to them, to mold them. Yeah. And that's why I did the presentation on LinkedIn on Wednesday, Five Mistakes Black Women Make. But I've got to share this with other sisters who are making those same mistakes over and over. We're qualified on paper. Yes. But then they can't land a job because we don't always show up. We don't shine. We don't present ourselves well. And we just don't know because nobody has told us, you know, what to put on our resume, how to align it. it. You know, all those things go together. And I'm just here trying to help another person get to that next level. That's why you will be on the next level and the next level to the next level. Uh, we have had a phenomenal conversation with the etiquette doctor, um, also known as Dr. Toya Corbett. It has just been a wonderful time with you. Um, this is part one. Uh, part two uh, will be coming very soon. Hopefully we can get you committed to sometime next week, early next week um, to to uh, finish this rich conversation. Um, but I'm so grateful that um, uh, you are a person who believes that uh, service to mankind is more important to uh, th thyself uh, in terms of our relationships uh, in uh, corporate America, in higher education, and what is old when you have been down the path and folk have uh, given to you. I'm so grateful that you uh, are a stu student of that lesson. Well, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And, and definitely next week we can make it happen. Boom. There it is. You've been listening to Four Thoughts of Our Founders. We had a very special guest here today, Dr. Toya Corbett. Um, who is with the United, I mean, I'm sorry, not the United, <laughs> but the University of North Carolina uh, system uh, and serves as the assistant vice chancellor, is it? Assistant vice president. Assistant vice president for student affairs um, and engagement. No, just, <laughs> just student affairs. Just okay. Affairs, yes. And what, for the North Carolina system, system office. And uh, we're, we're grateful to have you, sister. And I'm, I'm happy to have met you uh, and look forward to uh, being able to learn a lot more about etiquette from you. Great. Take care, look sister. Look forward to the next conversation. Me too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.